Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? <laughs> well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine, And I'm Stephen. And we've got a very interesting guest today. Um, so we've got um, Ryan David Tuttle, who is an ex-Jehovah's Witness. He has a degree in psychology and has been studying for his PhD in behavioural neuroscience. He has experience working as a residential counsellor, working with clients who experience both addiction and mental illness. Um, so welcome to the podcast, Ryan. Thank you for having me. So we're really, uh, really happy to have you on the podcast. Um, so I guess let's get straight into your story. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself and um, and your background. Sure. So... Um... I guess we're, so we're going to go to the witness stuff first, right? So any way was, you want, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I was I was born to the Jehovah's Witnesses, sure. um, and into a kind of a multi generational family. So my grandparents were witnesses, my parents were witnesses, my aunts and uncles were witnesses, and um, I think my story is somewhat unique. Although I, I've definitely heard other people have similar stories, and that I attended meetings regularly until I was about twelve years old. And um, then my both my parents became inactive. Right. Uh, my father was inactive my whole life, but my mother became inactive when I was about 12. Um, and then I returned in my late teens when I was about 19, 20 years old. Okay. And I kind of saw that as like the answer to all of my problems. I felt like life wasn't, I felt like life wasn't what it was supposed to be and that we had family problems. And I thought that that was the answer because that's what I was taught. That's what you're taught mm. as a witness that it's because you're not attending meetings. It's uh, because you're not studying the Bible enough. And so I returned, um, again, my, my late teens, early twenties, and I got baptized. I became a ministerial servant. Um, and I was extremely unhappy, <laughs> very, very unhappy. Right. And even though it felt like it was where I belonged, um, it felt like it was my culture. Like these were my people, something still didn't feel right. Mm. Um, and so I changed to the Spanish congregation. So I learned Spanish. I moved to a Spanish congregation because I felt like they they approve of you changing congregations for the purpose of learning language, yes. but not necessarily the purpose of you just changing congregations Absolutely because not. you're unhappy. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Right? And so it's kind of like a little loophole. So I was like, oh, I can change right. if I learn a language. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but I, I genuinely liked language learning and I genuinely liked my new congregation. Mm -hmm. And But the problems were still there. I wasn't happy. Things didn't feel right. Um, and eventually, you know, I just got, I got really, really depressed and that kind of led to me leaving in, um, in 2000, it was a bit of a transition. Um, I'd say it started maybe 2013 and then my final meeting was mid 2014. It was actually an international convention. My last meeting, oh, wow. uh, the 2014 international convention in, um, in New Jersey in the United States. 
and uh, and then I wrote my like official, uh, what do you call it, resignation letter okay. at the end of 2015. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, that's really interesting. Um, so mm-hmm. Can I um, ask a few questions then about um, that period between you? Um, so your your parents went inactive, and obviously you would have, um, I guess, done the same thing. But then, right. um, but then he came back and got baptized. So during that period, when when you were when all the family were inactive, what, what was happening in in the conversations around the family and in your head around you know what what was going wrong, what should happen? So, I, I think with these sort of things, it's easy to look back and try to describe it versus like what was actually happening at the time. Mm. And so to take from the perspective of what I was feeling then or what I was experiencing then was I had no idea, like (laughs) no perception of what, what a healthy family would look like or what witnesses are supposed to be like. Cause this is all all I know. Right. Mm. Um, I do know that it was very, um, very isolating because with witnesses, you're not allowed to be friends with people outside of the congregation. Mm. And we still believed and we were still practicing. It's not like we celebrated holidays or something. This is this is our culture, right? Okay. Yeah. But then you also don't have association with other witnesses mm. because you're you're inactive. Um, and so we did occasionally attend meetings like like the uh, the memorial and stuff like that. Um, but I feel like the hardest part of that or the most damaging part was how isolating it was by yeah. not having and not association with people. Uh, by not associating with people outside, but also not associating with anyone mm. in the group either. It's kind of the mm. worst of both worlds in a way, isn't it? You, you, you've, you're giving up your the normal relationships you'd have with the the culture around you, the community, um, but you're not you're not getting the benefits of of even the the JW community. Um, right. What was the um? Do you know what the sort of reasoning was um to go in inactive, but to sort of I guess almost have still a foot in the door for going back was it in case that they wanted to go back so they were like I won't fully you know my parents yeah I think it's just it was so deeply ingrained as part of our culture right Mm -hmm. it's my grandparents it's it's everything Mm -hmm. um and so I don't think it was um it wasn't because they didn't necessarily believe you know I I think there was still belief Mm um I think what what kind of triggered my my mother to go inactive, although it's complicated and I won't go into all of the details. Um, but when I was 12, my grandfather passed mm. away. And interestingly, my grandfather actually identified as gay. Mm. <laughs> and so my mother, there's like this trauma with my mother and her father when he left them and all of the stuff that went on. And when he passed away, it was just really devastating for her. Mm. And one of the I don't know who it was, but someone that my mother knew told her that her father would not be resurrected because he was gay. Oh, wow. And that was really hurtful mm. and like devastating to my mother, or it was a part of everything mm. that was going on. His death was really devastating. But I remember her talking about that in particular, uh, where she was like, well, I thought that when you died, like everyone would be resurrected, but here's this person being like, no, no, not, not your dad. Mm. And mm. what good is it? To, what is good? What good is a religion like Jehovah's Witnesses <laughs> if you can't even have the hope of the resurrection, yeah, exactly. right? Yeah. That's the whole driving force, and, isn't it? Right? Yeah. It really is. And so that was kind of denied my mother a little bit. Mm. And I feel like that that was part of what was going on there. Right. Mm. Okay. It's it's interesting, Ryan, because I, I remember um as a Jehovah's Witness, we were I suppose we, you know, we were considered a spiritual family, so we were in the thick of it, you know. Um, but there would there would be families that would um 
be sort of they they would come every now and again and they they might come for the memorial and so on. so i think in every congregation there's there you have a variety of different um believers i suppose some some who are in the thick of it in the center of it and then yes you you always have people who are on the edge of it and i think there's um there's there's a clique a cliqueiness about Jehovah's Witnesses often within congregations, um, and some people, for whatever reason, just don't manage to eke that warm, loving community feel that others do. Yeah, yeah that's been brought up before, hasn't it? With um, mm. our interview with Dr. Kalanti, um, mm. saying, yeah, basically, um. You know, she was still dressing sort of alternatively and things like that, and she was like, "Well, if they're gonna if I'm gonna be on the outside anyway, and you know, doing certain things." And she was like, "My story's a bit different because they didn't really want me in the thick of it, even though she kind of wanted to be." So mm. yeah, there is that cliquey, like popular table, I guess, almost. Mm. Absolutely. Oh, ab- absolutely. And I remember being aware of that. I remember my parents talking about that and mm. expressing that, how there's popular people. Yeah. I do think that I'm a weird mix because my like my grandfather was a longtime elder and pioneer. And so we have, we're like a legacy family, I feel like, in the, in sure. the area. And so like my grandfather was like uh, one of the only elders, I think, in the congregation at one time. I think way back there was only just one elder or a couple elders yeah. or something. Mm. Um, and so he was back from that time period and he was crucial in like building and purchasing the land to build the local congregations. Right. And so my grandfather was kind of like a local icon. I don't know. Sure. He, was, he was like a lot of people knew who he was. Mm. Um, and so we kind of had that connection, which that sort of thing usually gets you some witness clout. <laughs> but like my, <laughs> I feel like my immediate like, my parents and my my me and my brother like lost some of that (laughs) and we were a little bit a little bit more on the outside sure Mm -hmm. yeah but when you came back i I bet you were love bombed absolutely absolutely (laughs) because now i'm like the returning prodigal son or something right absolutely Absolutely. yeah which is a nice feeling Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely well that's why they do it isn't um i mean i remember when people would come back and because obviously you, you think back to your time in that and i remember being genuinely happy when people came back to the to the organization or came back to the truth obviously i'm doing the little inverted square quotes scare quotes there um but so yeah i think people genuinely did but i guess did it did it wear off so you, you you come back and you're now i guess on your own um in this congregation how did that feel it felt very isolating because <laughs> I feel like when you're there, like there's clicks and I, I feel like the clicks are kind of um, surrounding certain families. Mm, right. Yeah. And so people sit with their click they sit with their family, but if you don't have a click and you don't have a family, mm. then what, what, what's there for you? Mm. Yeah. And I remember one thing that I used to experience and complain about and dislike was that we'd meet for field service and everyone would have plans because they'd have plans with their click or their family and I would go and have nobody. Right. And so what that what would happen is you get put with the person that no one wants to work with <laughs> repeatedly every single week. Um, and so that was something that like I feel like makes you feel picked. like a little bit of a social outcast. It's like getting picked last for school. <laughs> oh, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely it was. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. And you knew it was going to happen. You knew it was going to happen every time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I'd, I'd recognize that definitely. Yeah. Because you always, um, yeah, yeah, you might. 
you might think, oh, I definitely don't want to get stuck with Bert, you know. Um, so I need to make sure I get something organized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like every congregation has one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know my congregation, we had an older man who I, I think he experienced a lot of trauma and yeah. he had a lot of problems, but he just, he didn't bathe. He smelled oh, awful, man. but was so like, so faithful yeah. <laughs> and out in field service all the time. So like, if you went out, you'd know you'd get stuck with him. <laughs> um, but but yeah, 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 it was tough. Yeah, so um, so you're you're in that place, and but you you get um, made a ministerial servant. Um, yes. So what what sort of things did you do then in the in the congregation? What were your duties? Oh, I don't. Good question. I don't remember. Uh, so there was the English congregation, the Spanish congregation, and I think. Wow, it's been a while since I've thought about this. I think I was, no, I was the territory servant. Right. I was the yeah. territory servant. Yeah. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, and so I made um you make the maps. Yeah, what well, the maps? I made little maps, yeah. made little cards. Yes, and uh, we had like a little rolodex with the cards in them, yeah. and I would give them out and keep track, and then go hound people to get them back. Nightmare, wasn't it? Um, they just didn't give those maps back. <laughs> they kept them in their pockets. No. And- <laughs> yep, and so I had to keep track of it, and yeah. and then in the Spanish congregation. I I also did the territory, but in the Spanish territory is different though than the English one where you have like lists of people's names, which is kind of sketchy. <laughs> so it's not like with, with the English congregation, you have just a map of yeah, like yeah. these streets where you just go preach to everybody. But in Spanish, there'd be a map mm. and then there'd be a list of all of the Spanish speaking people's names yeah. in that in that area. And so I was constantly updating the maps, updating the names, updating the addresses. Mm. Um, Data protection nightmare. And so that was a lot. Yeah, I, I, these days, I, I remember there was a bit of a change um, when I was still there, there was a data protection act that came out that stopped us doing like not at homes and things like that. But that, so that must've been a bit of a nightmare for you because writing people's details. I don't think we have that. I don't uh, think we have that here. Maybe not. But, yeah. but also I've been out since what, 2014, 15. So it, things could have developed sure. since then. Mm, yeah. yeah. So, um, so you're a ministerial servant, um, you're doing your maps and um, you're, you're back. So what happened? How come you ended up leaving? So I was also a pioneer. I oh, forgot to okay. mention that earlier. Okay. But I was I was a pioneer for a little while. Not not too long. Maybe I can't remember anymore. Maybe a year or so. Okay. I was also a pioneer. Um and what happened? So I feel like I was getting more and more depressed. Uh more and more depressed. And they, you know, the witnesses tell you that if you've got problems, go to the elders. Hmm. You know, tell yeah. the elders about your problems. Sure, yeah. Um, but it's like a uh it's a trap. Mm. <laughs> it's a trap. Yes. Um, and so I would go talk to the elders and I'd be like, Well, you know, I feel like all this inner turmoil, I feel very alone. Um, I've got issues with my family that I struggle through. Um, and they're not helpful at all. And the feedback that you get is that you're spiritually sick and you need to read the Bible more. You need to go to meetings more. You need to comment more, which is not the answer. Um, Yeah. They never suggest, you know, therapy. (laughs) If you're struggling with mental health, right? Let let me get to that part of the story. Uh. (laughs) So if we're going to go there, this is like the dark part of my story. So I, so they, they actually told me that I was mentally ill and mm-hmm. I needed to go see professional help, oh, really? which seems like it's an unusual mm-hmm. from what I, you know, from I heard from other people, it seems like oh. that's an unusual, mm-hmm. unusual thing. Mm. So I went to go see a therapist 
And back back in the day, I had no backbone and I had no spine. <laughs> so like the elders tell me something and I'm like, okay, I guess I'll do it. Um, so I went to go see a therapist, which was scary because this is a worldly person mm. and you're supposed to talk to them about your problems and stuff, mm. right? Mm. And so I, I talked to my therapist um, about some of the problems that I'm facing at home and some of the struggles I have, how lonely I feel, how I don't feel like I can't connect, uh, how I don't feel like I can connect with other people. And she says that what, what you need to do is you need to go find support uh, from people who have experienced similar um, sort of trauma that you have mm -hmm. in your family. And I was like, but I can't because I'm a witness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so I went back to the elders and I was like, well, this is what, what she says. Um, I don't like, I don't know what to do. Like, cause you can only get support from the congregation. Mm -hmm. so you're kind of between a, what do you call it, a rock and a hard place. Mm -hmm. Um, and so in response to that, the elder said, no, you just need medication. Oh, um, don't listen to anything the therapist says. Um, she wants you to stop serving God. You need medication. Wow. And yeah. And so I went back to go ahead. No, I'll just, I'll just, um, that's, so first of all, I was thinking, well, that's actually really quite good that the elders recommended you to go and see some help. So good for them. And then I hear that they are playing, um, psychiatrists. So it gets worse. Okay. Cool. Uh, so I, uh, I go back to my therapist and I'm just like, the elders tell me I should try medications. And I was adamant that I did not want to take medications because mm. um, I felt like deep down, I didn't understand what was going on. Um, but like deep down, I didn't feel like the problem was me. I felt like it had something to do with my environment, okay. uh, which in hindsight, totally accurate. Mm. Um, but what's so concerning is I went to the therapist and I said this and she's like, okay, we'll put you on medications. Right. Like someone comes to you and says, the elders <laughs> tell me to take medication wow. you just go, and okay. you're just cool with it. Yeah, no. yeah. But that's, that's basically what happened. Okay. And so I, I wasn't put on anything crazy, um, but it was like, like Prozac, but I was so sick, so incredibly sick from wow. taking it. Um, and so I, I took that and it just completely knocked me off my feet. Like I was having trouble getting to work. Like I was just so incredibly incredibly tired, incredibly weak feeling. I felt like a zombie. Mm. Um, and it was probably like the darkest period of my life, but a mix, a mixed bag, a mixed blessing because mm. it stopped me from going to meetings mm. and it stopped me from going to out and preaching in the field service. I was a pioneer. So I was going out in the field service all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, but I started taking this medication and suddenly I didn't care about anything. Mm. Like I, like blunted <laughs> I had no feelings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it blunts your, your your emotions. And that's a common, I think, experience mm. that people have when they take SSRIs. They feel like they're a zombie or that they mm -hmm. don't feel anything. Mm -hmm. And so I basically just stopped going to meetings and I stopped going out preaching. Um, and I was stunned because no one cared at all. Mm -hmm. No one seemed to care at all. People wow. weren't reaching out. Uh, people weren't, didn't seem to be particularly concerned. Like I was at all of the meetings. Mm -hmm. I was out, you know, on field service multiple times during the week. I was out every weekend and now I'm gone and no one seems to care. Mm. And given, I was like, huh. Yeah. Given that the elders know that you're, you know, you've been going to them saying you're struggling. You'd think that they'd be like, maybe we should send someone around to see, you know, mm. you'd think, yeah, you'd think. And, um, I remember that there was a scripture in the Bible and I'm probably going to botch it, but it was something like, um, is it a friend is a brother in times of distress or something like that? Mm. Something like uh, that. Yeah. I, I can't remember. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't remember it, but something like that. But that was something I got hooked on. And I was like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
like I'm in distress mm. and you've, you're like soft shunning me basically. Um, and I had people. And so I was kind of in this state, I was on these medications for like just a couple months, like three or four months mm. maybe. Um, and people were, I had people tell me that um, the devil was twisting my mind <laughs> uh, and that, you know, they would help me if I went to meetings. Mm. And so I was like being punished for not going to meetings. Um, and then maybe in August of 2014, the elders uh, reached out to me and they said, we want to have a meeting. Um, and I, I believe my memory is a little fuzzy. Mm. I think it was a meeting with the circuit overseer even. Oh, right. um, I think it was one of the elders and the circuit overseer. And so I came in, uh, or there, there, it's possible there was two different meetings, but, but I had a meeting with them anyways. Mm -hmm. And um, I went there and they, they told me that I was uh, refusing medications and that I was so depressed because I wasn't taking medications. And they told me that I was, um, his expression was that I'm like a schizophrenic refusing their meds. And I was like, what, <laughs> what the heck? Um, and they told me that I was being like um, declared mentally unstable, I believe. Huh. And they removed me from my, like they, I was removed from being a pioneer mm. and being a ministerial servant, which was absolutely devastating because this was my entire life. Mm. And so like I, I started crying and I was just like, I was just like mind boggled because I thought that they were coming to help me after all this time. I thought maybe mm. they're like, finally, like maybe he needs some support. Um, but that's not, they like tricked me into going in. Um, and mm. so I left the kingdom hall uh, that day, I think it was in August and I never went back and I stopped taking the medications wow. uh, after that, after wow. that meeting. Cause I was like, this is, something's not right here. Something's seriously not right. Mm. Um, and I went through withdrawals from SSRIs. Like you should not stop taking them. No, <laughs> um, but no. I did. And like uh, it was absolutely awful. No, it was not a good idea. It was, I mean, stopping them in general was a good idea, but not suddenly. Um, and then like all of the feelings that I had came back like times 10 mm. and I, I felt such intense feelings. So such intense anger. Um, and so I think it was a combination of being like soft shunned from the witnesses and also kind of the withdrawal and the rebound from the medication. Mm. And I just felt so angry and so much emotion. Um, it was intense. Uh, and I kind of continued in this state of like being angry, um, but still believing the witnesses. I, I felt like mm. they were wrong, but the religion was true mm. because they, they teach you to have that attitude where it's like, yeah. um, I forget the expression they use, but there's expressions like that where it's like, oh, there's imperfect men, but a perfect That's right. organization. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I kind of had that that mentality for almost a whole year where I kind of still believed. Mm. I just thought that they were wrong. And um I kind of continued that. I was very disillusioned, very I didn't know who I was, what I believed. I was like, I felt so lost. Mm. And um and then I was reading an article online. I think the woman's name was Valerie Chirico. And she's like, I think a therapist that works with, I think some cults type stuff, if I remember correctly. And she wrote an article about narcissism and narcissistic religions and narcissistic religious leaders. Mm. And I read that and I was like, this sounds, <laughs> this sounds real familiar. Um, and I kind of read that article and it felt like, it felt like my entire life came together in an instant. Mm. 
Mm. And obviously it was a, it was a journey that I was building all of these things. Right. And I think I was kind of collecting the puzzle pieces. And so, you know, even my returning to the witnesses, my moving to the Spanish congregation, I was like collecting all these puzzle pieces. And I was like, I think I was analyzing them. I was like, you know, how do these fit together? Like something doesn't make sense here. Um, and when I read that article, it was like, oh, this is how all the pieces go together. Mm. This, this now makes sense. Mm. And it was like, everything came together and I felt so much better. Um, and I definitely have had problems since like my life hasn't been perfect, but like, I feel like I've been a more or less upward trajectory since then, as far as feeling good about life and, mm -hmm. and like understanding what I went through. Wow. Wow. That's quite, yeah. quite an experience. Um, I, I guess mm -hmm. my, my comment, I suppose I would, would want to say is that it, it, the, the problem here is that the witnesses somehow managed to insert themselves into your treatment your relationship with your um your treatments and your your treatment provider was being interfered with by the elders um so it's really yeah. not up to them to decide whether it, it should be a, a therapy with drugs or a talking therapy or so on that's that's a decision yeah. between you and your counselor isn't it um so that's not something they should have been involved in yeah, I even brought one of them with me on a, an appointment. Like I, I deliberately oh, really? chose to do that because I was like, I need, I need someone to explain to this woman, like what it means to be a witness and like what, what it is like the restrictions that I have, which didn't, it didn't mean, didn't not, didn't work. It wasn't helpful at all from any any angle. Um, I don't. If anyone's watching, listening to this, like I don't re recommend, <laughs> I don't recommend going don't, that path. Um, but I was, I was trying to get her to understand. Therapy. No. Bad idea. I've made many bad decisions in life, and that was that was just one of the many. I suppose um, that just shows that when you are like when you really believe, and you've been told, you know, loads of times, like, "Oh, the religion's fine. It's not anything to do with that. It's 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 a, it's a you problem." So that's why you'll be like, "Oh, yes. I'll bring the elder, and they can help explain how we need to do this, and it'll all be fine because we'll sort it out, and I'll be okay." Because it's not. You know, you've been told all your life the religion will make it all good. So, you know, absolutely, it's not surprising, is it, that you would, you know, you wouldn't be putting any of the blame there at that point. The What Should I Think About podcast has been going now since around November 2020, and we've really enjoyed doing it. We release at least two shows a week. It's about eight a month, of course, with Sunday being an interview and Wednesday being our discussion about a new subject each week. We love you, our listeners, and we really value the interaction we have with you, and we want to keep the podcast going. Currently, I pretty much work on the podcast full-time, researching topics, booking guests, recording and editing, with Celine working part-time, doing very much the same things. So in order for us to keep going and continue to improve, we've reached that point in the life of a podcast where we have to make some decisions about how we support it financially. Most podcasts have ads, either that are delivered by the podcast hosts or from third parties that interrupt the show. We really don't want to do that. We want to keep the What Should I Think About podcast ad-free. So we're going to try something different to most podcasts. We'd like to ask you if you think this podcast is worth a pound or a dollar fifty or a euro twenty a month or whatever the equivalent is in your own currency. If you think it's worth that, we'd like to invite you to become a member or a patron for just that. 
So how we're doing it is we're flattening out our tiers on Patreon to just our single lowest tier. For those patrons, not only will you get the two public podcasts a week, but you'll also get exclusive video each month, bonus content of at least one a month and probably more, and exclusive access to the What Should I Think About Facebook private group, where you can contribute to our Ask Us Anything episodes coming up soon and talk about the show. We've got other plans too that will make your pound or dollar fifty even better value, but we can't say too much about that yet. We really want to make access to this community possible to everyone, and we think this minimal amount will do that, while providing the show with a small income in order for us to keep going. So the next few weeks we'll be flattening out our tiers on Patreon and providing all benefits through the lowest tier currently known as loss aversion for just a pound or its equivalent in your own currency. So please consider being part of our community. Thank you. The link to our Patreon page can be found in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like it was a combination of like me wanting her to understand what the witnesses were all about, but then also I wanted like the elders to understand yeah. what therapy was all about, mm-hmm. right? Or like what what sort of support I needed. Mm. Um, but that that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and it feels like you you were quite vulnerable, really, in that situation. For you sure. know, you feel it feels like you were quite you know you're alone, really. You, you, I guess your family is still around, but they're not coming to the meetings, and you've you're you're there. So yeah, I feel like um, that's yeah, that's 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 a pretty vulnerable place to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was for sure. Yeah, so that sounds really um, quite harrowing. So I'm glad that you say you're you you've been on kind of an upward trajectory. Do you want to talk about some of that stuff for how you managed to pull sure. your life around? So December 31st of 2015, I wrote a letter um, to the. Uh, what do you call it? The, the home office. It was actually, I think, it was, is it Jeffrey Jeffrey Jackson? Is he one of the governing the body? governing body? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so the royal commission had just happened. Yes. And so I wrote a letter to him directly, Ooh. and I was like, "Hey, I I just saw you on the royal commission." Hi, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jeff. <laughs> um, and it was actually an idea I got from another ex witness to be like, "Hey." you had mentioned in the Royal Commission that you guys were willing to pay for therapy, right? Um, And so I was like, here are the funds. Here are the costs that I have incurred. And so I feel like it might make sense for you to pay these these back. Um, And I kind of went into a couple things and I was like, yeah, and I, you know, don't don't ever speak to me again. Don't don't mail things to me. Don't knock at my door. Don't call me. Um, And I will I'll press like legal charges if you continue to harass me. Um, and I sent that certified to the main office and I've never heard from anyone ever since. (laughs) Um, so it was effective. Uh, and then I think, um, the spring of 2016, I enrolled in college and, uh, initially I wanted to, I thought I wanted to be like a therapist or something, um, to help other people who had been through similar things that I had been through, you know? And, um, I also got a job. So actually, when I left the witnesses, I had to leave my job because one of my bosses was a witness. Mm-hmm. And they started to like, they'd go through my desk and like try to find things that was wrong with my work and just like mm-hmm. making up things. And she was kind of trying to rat me out to the other boss where she'd make up some problem, tell him about it. And then he'd come over to like speak to me about what I did wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so I had to change jobs. And that's when I started working as a residential counselor with people who experience um, a mental health and addiction. And uh, so I got some kind of firsthand experience. And I was like, I don't know if this is the work for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> as I as I did the work there, there's a lot of problems in the field of like human services and mental health. And it's, it's tough work and mm -hmm. people don't get paid a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of as I was in um, this educational journey, uh, I kind of remembered or I started to learn more about myself, about what it was that I liked. And I was like, you know, I like, I like therapy. I like helping people, but it's really the biology and I like the, the animal behavior and, and evolution and ecology. Those are the things I think I have a more a genuine passion about. My interest in therapy is like related to my trauma. It's mm -hmm. not necessarily my things that I just enjoy doing. And so I kind of um, changed tracks a little bit. So originally I was going to be like a mental health counselor. Briefly, I thought I was going to be a school psychologist. And then I went <laughs> to more of the behavioral neuroscience route. Um, and that's how I ended up here. At my current school. Cool. Okay. So you, you got a um a degree in psychology um with a minor in so you, you majored in psychology and a minor in was it biology? So I actually have two degrees. Okay. I have a associate's degree in liberal arts. Okay. Um, so when I returned I went to a community college. Yeah. Uh and so I don't know how it works in the UK, but Community colleges are usually cheaper. Okay. Um, and so I didn't pay anything for my community college degree. Um, they didn't offer one in psychology, so I did liberal arts, and okay. I was able to take uh, psychology courses. And then from there, I transferred to a four-year state school. Um, and I did psychology, and my minor was psychobiology, okay. which is kind of like – it's like biology plus yeah. psychology okay. sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then you, you get into um, behavioral neuroscience – uh, which is what you're right. doing your PhD so, in. So the program that I'm in is a general psychology program, okay. but there's like different tracks. Yeah. And so uh, the track that I'm on is like um, cognitive behavioral neuroscience type things. And basically what that means is that we like study animal models of behavior. Okay. Um, and also not just the behavior, which is kind of the observable things that the animal is doing, but also things that are going on in the brain. So it might be different neuron pathways or different stuff like that mm -hmm. okay that sounds really interesting mm, um really cool. yeah so um just just stepping back a bit into your choices about doing psychology uh, obviously you, sure. you'd got this um you, you'd fallen into this counseling side of things but you you that wasn't your passion um so what was it about psychology and um evolutionary psychology and so on? what was it about that that really uh, switched you on? So interestingly enough, I remember two different instances as a child. Uh, one as a younger child when someone asked me what I wanted to be when I grow up. Mm -hmm. And I said psychologist. Wow. And of course, that is not the correct answer. No, it's not. It's a pioneer. <laughs> yeah. It's a pioneer is the right answer, right. not psychology. <laughs> and I remember saying that once and not the right answer. And then again, in high school, I had a very close friend who was a, a witness as well, who was in my class with me. And we were talking about what we wanted to do with our lives and careers and stuff. And I was inactive at the time. And I said, I wanted to be a psychologist then too. Also, the wrong, still the wrong answer. <laughs> still the wrong answer. Um, and so I feel like when you grow up, your, your passions and interests really get knocked down. Oh, yeah. Just across your entire, and you totally, at least for me, I like totally forgot what my passions were. Mm. Um, 
And so I've been on a journey kind of, of rediscovery of remembering and re-exploring the different things that I'm interested in. And um, I think to get to more specifics as far as like the biology element and the evolution is I discovered that I really like animal breeding. <laughs> and so one of the hobbies that I developed was like I bred fancy mice <laughs> and I like abs it sounds funny right it's, it's not a common hobby i don't think and usually people make fun of me for <laughs> for having that as one of my passions but i love it yeah. um and I'm, I'm very interested in how uh, we have domestic animals and the different traits that the domestic animals have have developed like the floppy ears and the the different colored coats and and how that interacts with the behavior because there's some connection there when we've selected for domestic um behavior and so that's kind of what got me onto the idea that, you know, I really, really like this. Mm. And so I think this sort of biology and evolution sort of um, take on psychology is where I should really go with that. So obviously um, your worldview as a Jehovah's Witness is very different to the worldview of a psychologist and an evolutionary psychologist, particularly. <laughs> um, so how did that journey go? Because obviously you, you were raised to believe that evolution was just... Um, a fabrication it's not true you know um god created everything according to its kind therefore evolution must be wrong um so there must have been quite a journey to go through there or did you just sort of dump all that stuff once you realized you didn't want to be a jw anymore so i think even when i was a witness I was always a skeptic and I was always sort of a critical thinker and I would analyze things and like you, you're given a box to think in. Right. And so I was, I was staying inside the box, but I was constantly like checking where the, the borders of the box were. Sure. And, um, we had, uh, that book, what was it called? The creation book, did how, man, how life get here. Did man get here by evolution or by creation? I believe it was called. Yes. That, that book. Yes. And in that book, it says that, um, it's explaining Noah's Ark and it says that, um, it says that there's uh, two of each kind of animal, yes. and they, they speculate that, well, there's only 40 kinds of animals. And mm -hmm. so that's how Noah could have gotten them all in the ark, because there's just 40 kinds. Yeah. And then all of the other animals could have come from those 40. Mm. And I remember thinking about that. <laughs> Yeah. Like, what does that mean? That how how do we get all of the evolution? <laughs> <laughs> sounds a lot like evolution. It does. And so I remember thinking a lot about that. So I was like, we do believe in evolution. Yeah. And so my perspective as a witness, and I, I think other people have this too, where like I kind of viewed the religion how I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. And so I kind of had this perspective where like we're okay with evolution adaptation. It's just not that like we still believe that God created us, but then we adapted and evolved because that's what that seems to be saying, mm. that God created the animals and then they evolved and adapted based, yeah. you know, after that. And so mm -hmm. I, I, I had some, my, my own theories where there's like maybe some plasticity, like God created the animals according to their kind, but they're like a plastic sort of kind where they can be shaped and molded. And so that was kind of my personal view. And I didn't realize that that was not the official stance. Mm. <laughs> you were just making the I, which, truth your own. They love it. <laughs> I, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I had those questions because that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, no. right? No, that's um, all. not a joke. Uh, no, right? It doesn't make sense. Um, so when I left and I was having those periods where I was like, I had the medications and I didn't know what I was doing with my life. And so there was like that four, four month period and also like a whole year where I was kind of just aimlessly drifting. I would watch documentaries every night when I went to bed. And so 
like BBC documentaries are amazing. And there's what David Attenborough. Like, yeah, he's, <laughs> that's he is stuff. our Lord and Master, David Attenborough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Mine as well. <laughs> <laughs> Mine as well. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'd watch all those documentaries. And there's so many documentaries available on YouTube. It's, mm-hmm. it's amazing that we have access to, to that sort of resources mm-hmm. for free. And I would just be like, evolution documentary, dinosaur documentary. Mm. And there's so many. And I, I think I've watched every documentary on those sorts of subjects mm. on YouTube. And I feel like it was like for a while, like for months, like that was something that gave me a lot of comfort for some reason. Whichever way you look at mm. it, it's um, it's not even contested really now. So mm. it's just, uh, and especially even since, you know, the last sort of 30 years um, with genetics, um, understanding that the the evolution of genetics or the genetic um, record of evolution and the fact that we can kind of see inside the genome how animals have evolved and Mm -hmm. the the similarity between various different species. You know, we're all basically the same um, stock, really. So, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, It's terrifying. I remember growing up, yeah, there was always, if there was a documentary on, it was always, how do they know that? You know, how do they know that? It's ridiculous. Science. (laughs) Always undermining (laughs) things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you, you, um, I I totally identify with you on that because I was very much the same. I, I, that was one of the worries that I'd had growing up because, you know, you have all these kind of things that you're sort of a bit bothered by, but you put it on the shelf and maybe like you, you integrate it into, you make, you, you sort of make it up yourself. Um, but that was one you that- make the truth to your own. Exactly. Just... <laughs> <laughs> but that used to bug me. And so it was great when I could just read stuff, you know, and just take it in and then watch, yeah, documentaries. So I totally get that. Um, and um, and so then obviously you get into- uh, into your studies. Well, one of the questions I'm interested in asking you, Ryan, is is about given your studies. I mean, obviously, you're still your studies are still ongoing. Um, I guess as everybody should be. Um, but uh, what's your um, what insights have you got into the way that groups like Jehovah's Witnesses operate in terms of culture and behaviour and how they how they modify people's behaviour? Have you got any? kind of strong feelings about how that works or observations that you could share with us given your your studies yeah so i i mean i don't study that specifically and that was a kind of a somewhat of a deliberate choice because i feel like it's traumatic to like constantly be thinking about those subjects Mm -hmm. so i wanted stuff that was like adjacent but would still maybe be relevant yeah um and so i've thought about that a lot and it seems like you hear people talk about cults a lot like in in like regular society where mm-hmm. they'll be like you know that this political group is a cult or that political mm-hmm. group is a cult or like all religions are cults or that religion is a cult and and so part of me is like yeah i get i get it but also not not all religions are jehovah's witnesses like mm-hmm. there's something different <laughs> there's something different there <laughs> yeah. um not, not all religions are the same as scientology like but yeah. what is it what is it that's different and it, it seems like a lot of um sort of stuff that i have read about it they'll focus on the leader, right? There's like this sort of idea that a cult has a charismatic leader and a following. That's like Mm. your typical cult prototype. And so there's a lot of focus on like the cult leader and their narcissism or the way the information is controlled and manipulated or um, sort of the relationship between different individuals. And I think um, one of the books I read was like talking about adult attachment theory and how you attach to different Mm. people in the group and the group itself. 
and uh, which I think all of those make make sense to me. Um, but but I think that there is um, some limitation when we just look at the cult leader, mm. uh, because some cults don't just have a single leader. Like Jehovah's Witnesses have this governing body, mm. um, and I feel like there's things that are culty but don't even have a governing body. It's like an ideology or something, mm. you know, and it's much more amorphous, but there's still something there that seems culty. Mm. And so I, I've been thinking about this and I've kind of been developing this idea, but thinking about it more in terms of ecology. And um, as part of my undergraduate degree, like we had mentioned, I had did the psychobiology and one of my courses was called behavioral ecology. And so it was like the study of um, how the environment shapes behavior. And so the environment can be like the trees and the resources mm -hmm. and the rocks and stuff that are in the environment. They can also be other species or other individuals of the same species and how the interaction between those things uh, shapes behavior. And so that's that's something that's given me some, or that I've kind of adapted to my view of cults. Yeah, that's interesting. So um, just sort of going a bit deeper into that. So um, you're, you're sort of saying that the, the way that... Well, I'm not. I'm not saying what you're saying. I, I suppose I'm. I'm. I'm thinking um, that, sure. that what you're referring to there might be that the environment within the group, whatever you want to call it. So let's say Jehovah's Witnesses is kind of it. it self-sustains a sort of set, sets of behaviour that um, that that create more of that behaviour. So you you get almost like a feedback loop. Um, so, you know, so yes, you've got a governing body and the information comes from the governing body. Um, instructions come from that source. But actually, on a day-to-day -day basis, each congregation operates um, in very much the same way and people are behaving in a very similar way and they're behaving like that because of the environment that they're placed into. Does that does that make sense? So, so, so elements of that, yeah. yeah. So I guess for the behavioral ecology, but I, I guess it might make sense to explain that a little bit more. Um, but basically it's studying how the environment shapes an organism's behavior across mm. its lifespan or like shapes the evolution of the species. And so you can like look at the environment that the species is in and make predictions about mm. different strategies that they'll have as far as like mating or foraging. And so like uh, common sort of things that you'll look at, it would be like mating strategies and the males and the females will have different mating strategies, like competing mating strategies or even like the parent and the offspring will have competing strategies um, and another kind of thing that you can look at is the group versus the individual um, and those are kind of competing sort of strategies in some ways too because mm -hmm. as an individual you want um, to kind of get the most out of the group <laughs> but also you can't you can't suck so much out of the group that you're harming the group you gotta you gotta benefit everyone in the group has to benefit from kind of being together mm -hmm. um, and, and these, all of these different behaviors are shaped by uh, the individual's fitness. Mm. And so that's kind of a term in evolution, which just means the ability to survive and reproduce. Mm. And so I kind of came up with this idea and so kind of applying the sort of group sort of concepts to cults um, of like an ecological definition of a cult, which I'm, I guess I'm still working on. Okay. But I think it's like, uh, could be described as group behavior that's maintained through de uh, deception at the expense of an individual's fitness mm. or to the expense of an individual's relative fitness maybe because there's some relativity and so what i think about is there's there's some deception right and so so you 
or we as a species, we're very, very social species, mm -hmm. right? And so like we, one of our strategies general is to be social and to like share and engage with mm -hmm. each other. And, and somehow through our evolutionary history that has improved our fitness, we're mm -hmm. better at reproducing and surviving mm -hmm. because we're working together. But with groups like Jehovah's Witnesses, um, there is some deception about how much fitness is is being gained by participating. Mm -hmm. um, and if you think about it, they're promising like perfect health and eternal life. So it's kind of like ultimate infinite fitness as far as like mm -hmm. evolutionary fitness. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but you're not actually getting mm -hmm. the the benefits that they claim you're getting, you know. Um, and so there's like the perception of fitness that an individual has by participating in the group and then like the actual fitness mm. that they have mm. um, by joining in the group. And, and it's kind of relative because there's like the, your fitness, or you could use a more like um, general term, like your wellness or well-being, your health uh, in the group compared to what it would be outside of the group, you know? So it's almost like the organization is like an organism that is um, feeding off the um, the individuals within it, I suppose you, you could, um, you could describe it in those terms. I can see you're, you're obviously using a, a model of, of, um, from a very specific perspective. I'd, I'd love to see, um, I'd love to see more about that. If you decide to put it down into a paper, that would be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I would say more like a herd. Like, so I learned about okay. these in terms of animals, not humans. Mm. But when we learned about group behavior, it was like herds of cow. Mm. <laughs> but but usually when it, when an, an organism decides to join a group or to evolve, they don't decide to evolve it, but as sure. that might evolve, um, it's because the individual is benefiting by being in the group. You're not going to be in the group if it doesn't benefit you, right? Um, but being in some of a group like maybe Jehovah's Witnesses, you might not be benefiting from being in the group. Um, and it might be costing you a lot. Hmm. Um, you and so there's some sort of, yeah. right. And so there's like an illusion of benefiting. And I feel like this sort of perspective can explain the different like group, uh, different uh, states of affiliation where we have like PMO or PME, where you're hmm. physically in, mentally in, physically out, mentally out. And I feel like you can kind of understand those different states by kind of understanding the individual's perception of their fitness uh or the the potential benefit to their their fitness by being in the group versus like the benefit to not being in the group and people make decisions based on whether they think that they're going to improve themselves and there's like an illusion there's some deception on the part of the mm. group um that kind of keeps people participating it's very interesting yeah i, I guess mm. i'd i'd the challenge um maybe i'd i'd give on that is that the individuals don't don't well it, they don't generally make judgments about whether they're going to increase their fitness in an evolutionary sense they make judgments about whether they think it's a place they want to be so they're they're not it's not a sort of teleological approach where um, so it's yeah not evolution no yeah it's not exactly the same yeah. but it'd be more like shaping shaping their behavior right. um yeah. as opposed yeah. to like uh, evolving yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. like um you know when someone we know was like well even if i didn't think it was the truth mm. i'd stay because i think this is a good place to raise a family right mm. yeah and so i, I feel mm. like so I, i've kind of i've thought about this a little bit but people who are like physically in but mentally out um maybe have become aware of the deception but are still benefiting from being in the group oh, that's interesting 
because the group has control over resources. Like mm. it's got control of your family. Mm. It's got control of your job. It's got control maybe over your housing, right? And mm. so like, that's really common, at least for witnesses. And Absolutely. I think it's true for other groups mm. where they control all the resources. And so even if you become aware of the deception, you still might stay because there's mm. some relative benefit, at least yeah. temporarily. Um, and you have to change your environment for you to be able to leave the group. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. And then like the opposite of that is what that's you'd be physically out, but mentally in. Mm -hmm. And so I think with that, you could look at it as the person did not become aware of the deception, but being in the group was causing them harm. Yes. And so the, there was the harm to their own fitness. And again, we could use a different term other than mm -hmm. fitness. You could just say like health or well-being mm -hmm. or something mm -hmm. was so great that they left. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, or it was so great in comparison to the benefit of being outside of the group because there would be a relativity between the two, right? It's like a relative thing. Um, and But they left, but they weren't ever aware of the deception mm. that the group was causing. And so they continued believing because they never woke up to it, but but left, you know? Mm. Mm. Yeah, interesting, interesting stuff. Right, yeah. okay, well, you need to write a paper on that then, Ryan. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, uh, yeah we'll, we'll definitely get into that. So um, we're coming to the end of our interview, but I just wanted to ask you what are your plans for the future that you can share with us? What, what are you uh, looking forward to? So as far as my education, I'd like to finish my degree. <laughs> um, and so I'll, I'll be here for a little while doing that yeah, still. Yeah. Um, nothing said in stone. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of trying to just be guided by what I like and mm. like how can I live an enjoyable life and mm. do things that I want to do. Whereas before with the witnesses, it's like you're doing things because oh, you're supposed yeah. to do them, yeah. but not because you like them, Absolutely. not because it brings you happiness. And so I've, I've had enough of that in my life yes. and, and I want to do things that are interesting, that are mm. mentally stimulating and that I enjoy doing. Um, and so I don't know exactly what I'll be doing, but I want it to be something I enjoy. I love awesome. that mentality. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Nice well, um, we've really enjoyed talking to you. Mm -hmm. um, it's, been this evening. it's been really, Same. really nice. Mm -hmm. um, wish you the best of luck with your PhD and um, mm -hmm. keep in touch with us here at the what should I think about podcast? We'll keep people apprised of, of, of your progress. And um, <laughs> yeah, if you do write that paper, then let us know and, uh, and we, can, we can have a read. <laughs> Sounds good. So thank you very much for joining us, um, Ryan. What Should I Think About is an Evil Sheep production. 